Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Take your Bibles as quickly as you can and turn to 1 Kings chapter number 14. 1 Kings chapter number 14 in your Bibles. We'll find our place there. 1 Kings 14. And uh, we'll be off and running into the Word of God. I think that's where I want to start. And we'll see here how we come out. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 25. I want you to find your place now and we'll read along. And I'll bring you a message from the old black book. And it came to pass in... Let me me just have you stand. Why don't you stand up as we read the Bible? By the time I get done preaching, you'll be glad to stand up. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He even took away all. And he took away the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their stead brazen shields and committed them into the hands of the chief of the guard, which kept the door of the king's house. And it was so that when the king went into the house of the Lord, that the guard bare them and brought them back into the guard chamber. Rehoboam was the son of of King Solomon. The Bible says uh, in Second Chronicles 9.31 that Solomon slept with his fathers and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. I want to bring you a message tonight. I'll give you the title once we get into the message. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless us now and fill us with the blessed Holy Spirit of God. We have earnestly sought to please you as best we know how. We have surrendered everything that we know to you. We have earnestly begged your presence in the service. Here's a godly pastor and his family and other great people in this church who prayed for revival. What a great crowd tonight. What a great crowd last night. How, what faithful and good people. And yet, Lord, we all need revival. We all need a touch from heaven. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll bless us now as we uh, preach the message. And may God get a hold to hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. King Solomon was young and tender when his father, King David, committed unto him the keeping of the greatest nation on planet Earth. And when he realized that he now was to be the king of Israel, that he was to lead the great army of his father, when he realized that there was committed unto him the great nation of Israel, the theocracy that God had established, it so humbled him that he, 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 he caved in and said, Oh, God, I'm but a little child. I don't know how to go out and go in. I've got to have wisdom. I'm not smart enough for the job. God loves that kind of praying. 
God loves that kind of prayer. Oh, God, you got to help me. And the Lord said, I'm going to help you, all right, because you did not ask wealth and riches, but you asked wisdom. I'm going to give you wisdom like no other man has ever had on planet Earth. And then I'm going to throw in wealth and, and riches uh, on the sideline. Uh, hey, young people, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. And Israel rose to greatness and power under King Solomon. Well, when Solomon passed off the scene, he handed the kingdom down to his son, Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam did a couple of strange and unusual things. The first thing, instead of falling on his knees and asking God for wisdom so that he'd know how to lead the nation of Israel, he went to people and asked them what he should be and what he should do. He first went to the old men, and they gave him some pretty good advice. Then he went to the young men, and they gave him some pretty dumb advice. And he followed the advice of the young men brought up with him instead of the old men that had lived long enough to know something. And about five years worth of seeking unto men instead of seeking unto God, the kingdom had deteriorated until Shishak, as we just read in our text, until in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, verse 23, that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And the Bible says he took away the treasures of the king's house. That's Rehoboam. And he took away, uh, uh, and he even took away all. And he took away the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Now, those shields of gold represented the glory of Israel, the power of Israel, the holiness of Israel, the grandeur of a nation whose God was the Lord. The Bible refers to them several places. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 9, 16, And 300 shields made he of beaten gold, and 300 shekels of gold went into one shield. And Shishak came up and just carted off the treasures of the king's house, the treasures of the house of the Lord. He even took away all. And by the way, all the devil wants out of you and your family and your home is all. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. He wants it all. And so the Bible doesn't record much of a battle at all that transpired and took place when Shishak, a picture of the world, the king of this world, came up and carted off all these precious treasures. He was king of Egypt. Egypt's always been a picture of the world. That makes Shishak the king of this world. You know who the god of this world is, don't you? The god of this world is Satan. And Satan wants to come and get all the precious things that you've got. He wants to haul off your purity. He wants to haul off your, your, your marriage. He wants to haul off your children. He wants to haul off your church. He wants to haul off everything in the world. Those shields of gold that Shishak took represented all that Israel was. Now, again, here's Rehoboam. Instead of falling on his face and saying, God, the enemy has come and taken away and the shields of gold. Instead of that, he said, quick, call his servants. They came roaring in and saluted. He said, look, they've taken the shields of gold, and we're embarrassed. And so here's what I want you to do. We don't have any more gold, but we do have some brass. And we can't let the people know that the devil has hauled off the glory of Israel. So quick, go make us 300 brass shields, just like those golden shields, and bring them in here and get them in here as quick as you can. And they came roaring in and posted those 300 shields and said, Glory to God! Hallelujah! But shine as you will, polish as you will, burnish as you will, brass will never be gold. 
And you can fool people for a little while, but you cannot fool God for one one hundredth of a second. He should have gone back and got the shields of gold. He should have gone as his father David, uh, as his grandfather David did. He should have gone and recovered all. But he was too much of a carnal man. He was too much of a coward. He was too much of a compromiser to do it God's way and pay the price to go get those golden shields. As a result, he stuck up a substitute. It's amazing if you'll polish brass how much you can make it look like gold. You can fool the unprofessional all day long. Shine as you will. Polish as you will. Brass will never be gold. Brass is always a picture of the judgment of God. Gold is a picture of the treasure of God. And we need to go back and get those golden shields, and that's where I'm going in the sermon tonight. Number one, we need to go back and get those golden shields of preaching. Preaching. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2, Preach the Word. Preach the Word. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching, itching ears. Preach the Word. We need to go back and get those golden shields of preaching. Jesus came preaching. John the Baptist came preaching. Our country's going to hell because that old-fashioned barnstorming, Jesus-loving, devil-hating, heaven-exalting, hell-dethroning, slobbering preacher has disappeared from the pulpits of America. We need to go back and get some preaching. Preaching. A fellow told me in a GARB church, he said, our pastor's up this four versions of the Greek while the teenagers are laying in the back seat of the park uh, in the parking lot acting like a bunch of cats and dogs let me tell you we need to go back and get some preaching Isaiah 58 and verse number one lift up thy voice like a trumpet we need some loud mouth preachers and we need to we need to get back to some preaching so I'm talking about sin killing preaching I'm talking about preaching against queers and baby butcherers I'm talking about preaching against liquor liquor when is the last time you heard your television pastor give a broadside to beer. Yeah. Uh, too much like Pat Robertson when they asked him what he thought about a Christian taking a beer. He said, well, the Coors family from out in Colorado contributes so much to this ministry, I could not afford to say anything about that. God have mercy! I wouldn't walk across the street and hear a man preach. It could be bought off by money. Let me tell you something. We need to go back and get some preaching! These little sermonettes by Christianettes that smoke cigarettes and dress like majorettes and drive Corvette. Well, I'll leave that one off. But anyway, I mean, listen, we need to go back and get some preaching. When's the last time you heard your favorite television pastor give beer a broadside? One Sunday night, I was preaching years ago when my children were smaller. I was preaching in my church on booze one Sunday night. I'd quoted every verse in the Bible about liquor. I mean, I was having a preaching seizure. I had a liquor bottle in the right hand, the beer can in the left hand, had a handkerchief wrapped around them, and I was waving those cans and bottles, telling the children how this stuff was puked up out of the pit of hell. And man, I was having a time. Had a trash can up there. Had a candle stuck up between two rocks in it. They didn't know it. I had some gas, lighter fluid or something in the about burnt the church down, folks. But anyway, I, I had to, I had this stuff in the bottom of the trash can, and I said, and I said, right in the middle of my sermon, I said, I want all my children to come down. You everything sixth grade and under, get down here, boy. Here they came like a herd of turtles. You could just see the congregation shrinking as they came down. They stood across the front from right to left. 
I looked up at me, batting her eyes like a bullfrog in a hailstorm, and I was preaching. Oh, I was preaching. And I took that liquor bottle, and I said, this stuff's out of the pit of hell, and I slammed it down in that trash can. Well, when I did, as I had intended to do, I knocked the candle over, and the gas caught on fire. And I had a man on the light switch. It was wintertime, pitch black outside. Had a man on the light switch. And when I slammed that bottle in the, in, the, in the trash can, busted it on those rocks, lit that trash can on fire, the lights went pitch black, and fire shot up out of that can, scared the children, scared me, scared everybody. And I mean, listen, I'm telling you, the fire shot, and I took that beer can. Listen, put me on pulpit, Mike, here. Let me show you. I took that beer can, and I said, told those children, I said, don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever put your mouth on a beer can as long as you live. Don't you ever, don't you ever. And they won't either. No, they won't. Even if I die, if I die, uh, I'm telling you, they, they'll never, no child that was there that night will ever touch beer. No, sir, they'd be afraid. If they touch beer, they'd see I'm telling you something. They'd see me crawling up out of the grave. Don't you ever, don't you ever put your mouth on a liquor bottle. We need some preaching in this country again. I'm talking, boys, not getting it done. My preaching's been compared to a cross-eyed discus thrower. I don't set many records, but I do keep the crowd awake. Preaching! Preaching! I ain't talking about... Let me tell you, John the Baptist didn't get put in jail for wearing smile buttons. Amen? And Jeremiah didn't get put in the dungeon for preaching, I'm okay, you're okay. And Jesus didn't get crucified for, for preaching, consider the lilies, how they grow. And I want to tell you this right now, if we don't get back to some preaching, our country's going to go to hell. We need some preaching. Amen. Thank God you got a preacher around this place. Thank God you got a man that's not afraid to stand up and tell it like it is and shell the corn. He's like that. I love black preachers, and I love to be in black churches. And I go to one preach now and then just so I don't forget how to preach. But I love them. I, love, I don't mean to discriminate against you white preachers, but there has never been a white preacher that can preach like a black preacher when he gets wound up. Now that's all. I'm talking about a southern black preacher. Oh, they sing their sermons. Oh, yes. I mean, they get into it. And I love it. I love it. And uh, one black preacher was up preaching uh, down in Mississippi one time. And he, 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 he aimed to say, God's called me to heal the sick and cast out the devils and raise the dead. But instead, he said, God's called me to heal the dead, cast out the sick, and raise the devil. And that's what God's called me to do, do a little devil raising. And we need, we need that. And I'm talking about preaching. I'm not talking about 37 things that will improve your self-image. I'm talking about 37 reasons you ain't fit to tote guts to a bear. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about preaching. That tell, and I ain't talking about, I'm talking about preaching the Bible. I'm not talking about the NIV and the RSV and the ASV and the DDT and the HIV and the M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. I'm talking about the KJV, the Bible. Amen. We need to go back and get those golden shields of preaching. Number two, we need to go back and get those golden shields of holiness. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he heard the seraphims cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And in Revelation chapter number 3 and verse number 18, he said, Because you say you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, he said, You're poor and miserable and blind. He said, I counsel thee to buy of me. Say it now. Gold. Gold. By the way, sound man, I'm not going to preach what I told you I might preach tonight. I, ju- I came to this pulpit with six different sermons. I didn't know which one to preach. I think I found the will of the Lord. Yeah, you can give that little thing to me after service. He was going to help me preach. I'm sorry. I should have said something at the beginning of the service. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. We need to go back and get those golden shields of holiness. Holiness. I counsel to thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. I've never seen the out in my life of churches anymore for Christian people in the way they... I'm shocked at the dress of Christian people. Shocked. I'm shocked at what Christian people watch on that stupid television. I'm shocked. Television, television, smell-o-vision. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked at the divorce rate in God's house. Good night. You come into this church. I don't care how many times you've been married. You didn't know. You know now. And you just take your husband or wife and build you a marriage that will glorify the Lord and stick with it and raise your little children for God. And just do it, do it, do it, do it. I'm shocked at the divorce rate. I'm shocked at the music in churches anymore. Shocked. I love this church. Leah knows this is right. I mean, you're right on the bubble. You're exactly what I believe about music in this church. I've enjoyed and appreciated every special, every congregational, every song. Absolutely. I'm talking about music. I mean, I'm so sick to get into a church. Now, just before Brother Brown comes to preach, Sister Wigglejaw is going to come up here and sing. And here she comes waddling up there with a dress on three sizes too small. Got so much green eyeshadow on, it looks like her gallbladder's busted. Comes up there and takes the microphone, begins to caress it, and begins to sing in that breathy voice, Do you know Jesus? God have mercy! We were saved out of that kind of stuff. Hey, if we wanted that kind of music, we'd go back to the nightclub and get it. But he hath put a new song in our hearts, even praise unto our God. Thank God for the music around here. Holiness, holiness, holiness. I've never seen the like of way men dress like women and women dress like men in my life. Put on your stretch britches and run around and show your big fat self. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Pastor just took a nerve pill. Pray for him. Shame on you. Hey, I came in one day. I came in one day. I'd been visiting, and I was in a hurry. Changed clothes. I'm always in a hurry. Always in a hurry. Uh, my wife said, I'll go to heaven if I don't run past it. I'm always in a hurry. <clears throat> and uh, I came in, took a shower, jumped out, reached to get some clean underwear, opened my underwear drawer, and all my underwear were pink. All of them. I just stared at them. I mean, my Hanes, they were all pink. I was upstairs. I said, Diane? She said, yes. I said, got a problem. She said, what is it? I said, my underwear are pink. I heard her laughing. I didn't think it's funny a bit. I heard her laughing. She came up, walked through the door. She said, she was just dying laughing. I said, oh, my underwear are pink. She said, oh, I forgot to tell you. I was washing some of the girls' bright red dresses today, and they accidentally got in with your underwear, and they came out a little pink. I said, a little? 
I said, what are you going to do about it? She said, last, she said, what am I going to do about it? She said, what am I going to do about it? She said, who's going to see them? I said, who's going to see them? Who's going to see them? God's going to see them. And I've done seen them. And furthermore, I couldn't even walk right in a pair of pink underwear. And I said another thing. Get out here in a car wreck. Haul a chunk of my body in with pink underwear hanging all over it. What kind of a testimony? Let me tell you something, Boudreaux. They'll be selling Frosties in hell before this boy ever puts on a pair of pink underwear. Did you get that? Preacher! Hey, preacher, look up here at me. Don't you ever let them put pink underwear on you. You hear me? I'll preach about you all over America if you ever let them put pink underwear on you. Hey, we need to go back. It's the wrong day and age for men to be wearing pink underwear. Say amen right there. Amen. We need to go back and get those golden shields of holiness. I could preach an hour on that. You believe that, don't you? You believe that. We need to go back and get those golden shields of prayer. Prayer. Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, the place was shaken. We need a little shaking in our churches. And we need a shaking in our soul winning program. And we need a shaking in our homes. And we need a shaking in our children. And we need a shaking in our Christian school. And we need a shaking in our colleges. We need a shaking. We need to go back and get those golden shields of prayer. I went to Cedar Rapids one time, catch a flight. And uh, I was going to preach with John Brothers in Richmond, Virginia. John run about four or five hundred. And I said, um, the lady said, uh, sir, your flight is 45 minutes delayed going out of Chicago. And I said, uh, ma'am, that's not going to work. I said, I don't have a 45 minutes to change in Chicago, and I'm in a different terminal. Besides that, I'm not going to make it. It's all I could do to make it if, if it was on time. She checked, and she said, you know, you're right. Uh, I said, what else can you work on? She said, well, I can get you through St. Louis and get you there at 7 o'clock. I said, ma'am, the church is nearly an hour from, from the airport. That's not going to work either. She said, well, I can get you through Minneapolis and get you there, and it was later. I should have thought, hello, lady. That's worse, you know. And um, I said, what, what do you? What do you suggest I do? She said, well, what I suggest you do is take the flight on to Chicago. I, it was too late to do anything. I was a keynote speaker in this uh, meeting. And uh, she said, you just take a flight to Chicago. When you get there, maybe it can put you on a different carrier that can get you into Richmond sooner. I didn't pray much. When I consider what little I pray and what great things God does, it convicts me. Do you, are you that way? And so I didn't pray much. But I said, well, God, here's a man needs the Lord. And... <laughs> I got on the plane. One of the 30 minutes flight up to uh, O'Hare and from Cedar Rapids. And so uh, I took off, and I'm just thinking, Lord, what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, the stewardess came on, and she said, for all of those people going to Richmond, Virginia today, there will be a shuttle van waiting for you as soon as the plane lands at O'Hara Field. I thought, for all those people? I didn't know anybody ever went to Richmond, Virginia from Washington, Iowa, but me. I said, of all the, and it wasn't long, I called her back, and I said, ma'am, did you say what I thought I heard you say? Oh, yes. She said, there's four ladies on this plane going to Richmond, Virginia, and you. I said, you got to be kidding. She said, no. So when the plane landed, they had a 15-passenger van waiting for us. Now, I stay in the air more than a seagull with sore feet, and I'll tell you this, I fly every week, but I'll tell you this right now, I have never had that happen before. And I thought, good night, God is working. And so 
as soon as she said, I want everybody to stay seated till we get these Richmond passengers off. And so we filed off the plane. There's a uh, middle-aged lady sitting behind the uh, steering wheel of this 15-passenger van. I waited. The four ladies got on. And I sat up front, uh, the seat behind the front seat diagonal because I had some questions I wanted to ask that woman. And as soon as the door was closed, I said, ma'am, a question. This is a little bit irregular for them. She said, sir, it's highly irregular. Don't understand it. I just obey. I just do what I'm told to do. I was told to come over here and pick y'all up. I thought, this is God. This is unbelievable. And so she pulled us right up to the plane. The jetway was up against the plane. They let us out of that van. I don't even think it was regulations. They let us out of that van, marched us up the steps where the baggage claim boys were, and when we came out, it was right against the jet door. Then they took us back up the jetway to run our tickets through the scanner and brought us back down. But when it did, as I walked through that plane door, it dawned on me. Oh, no. My sermons was in a suitcase in the, in the bottom of that plane. And I thought, oh, Lord, what's a preacher worth without sermons? Lord, what worse comes to worse, I may have to study. Uh, but anyway, I, I thought, you know, and, uh, and so... <laughs> I thought, oh, God, and I, I was so discouraged. I walked down, and I sat down in the seat. Now, listen to me. If you don't believe what I'm about to tell you, I won't blame you. If you told me this, I'd have a hard time believing it. I mean, it was fast as we could get off the plane, get in that van, go straight over to the terminal, get out, go up, and I sat down in that seat, and I had my head down like this, and I saw a man's feet walk up and stop just like this. I looked up at him, and a man looked down at me. He said, are you Reverend Brown? I said, yes, sir. He said, I was told to tell you we put your luggage on this plane. And he just turned and walked away. I just stared at him. Ain't no way, Hazel. Ain't no way nobody got in the bottom of that plane, got that suitcase out. And, got, and by the way, when I got to Richmond, it was there. He said, Brother Brown, what do you think of that? I'm not sure you want to know what I think of you say, Brother Brown, do you think that was an angel? Could have been. You say, oh, that was coincidence. It was a good one, wasn't it? And I noticed this. The more I pray, the more good coincidences I have. I noticed that. Yes, I noticed that. I got a preacher friend, pastored a large church, was trying to make a flight, got tied up in traffic, and knew he was going to miss his flight. And he prayed, dear God, I've got to be at that meeting. If I called his name, you'd know it. I've got to be in that meeting. I've got to. And, and he prayed, Lord... <laughs> Stop that plane. Just send an angel down from heaven and stick his foot in the door of the plane so they can't close it till I get on. That's what he prayed. He said, that's exactly what I prayed. And he said, when I got there, I ran down the corridor, ran up there, said, well, I guess I missed that flight. She said, no, you didn't. He said, I didn't. She said, no, you didn't. He said, well, it's, she said, yeah, it's past time, but uh, they got a problem with the plane. He said, what is it? said, they can't get the door closed. He said, I felt chills go all up and down my back. He said, she stamped his ticket, said, this is just a minor problem. For some reason, the door's hung. They can't get it closed. He said, I walked down the jetway, and there was two technicians down there working on that door and had their little toolbox out and working, and said, I walked on the plane. As I started down the aisle of the plane, I prayed. Uh, now, Lord, you, you tell that angel, he can go ahead and take his foot out of that door. I'm on the plane now. He said, I hadn't said that. I hadn't said that till bump, I heard that door close. 
It said there was just a brief silence, and the stewardess came on, and she said, Well, folks, we never did figure out what was wrong with that door. All we know is it's working now. We'll fill the paperwork out, and as soon as we push back, we'll be ready to go. Make sure your seat belts are fastened, your tray tables are up, and your seats are in an upright position. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. Brother Blue preached for me several meetings. He's dead and in heaven now. He is up north preaching somewhere, and a preacher got mad at him for what he was preaching. He was a pretty straight preacher. Ran him off with no offering. He had two little girls. And he and Mrs. Ballou started down the road. They had 750 miles and no, no money to buy gas with or feed their little family. And Brother Ballou prayed, Dear Lord Jesus, I've preached the truth, and I stood for right, and I've done right, and I want you, Lord, to help me. And one of his little girls in the back seat said, Daddy, I'm hungry. And the other one said, I'm hungry too. And he said, my wife cut her eyes at me, and I cut my eyes at her, and we didn't want to tell him we didn't have money to buy food. And he said, I prayed, oh, Jesus, my little girls are hungry. And, Lord, I've done what's right. You know I've obeyed you. I didn't ask for this. But he ran us off, and he got mad at us. And he said, I prayed, said, we rode on, said, I saw a great big old billboard, said, chicken and dumplings is down in Kentucky, you know, chicken and dumplings. And it was going on down through there. And he said, then I saw another one, chicken and dumplings. He said, I finally got to that restaurant. It was a huge restaurant with a big parking lot full of cars. He said, I gave a turn signal, pulled in, said, my wife looked at me and said, would you mind telling me what you're doing? He said, well, I'm telling you exactly what I'm doing. My little girls are hungry. God told me to feed them. We're going to feed them. She said, you know, we don't have a penny. He said, I know that, but I know God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I've prayed, and I'm asking God to feed us. He said, we walked in that restaurant. It was just a wonderful restaurant. It wasn't fancy. It was a working man-type restaurant, but good food. He said, we walked in and sat down, and he said, the lady came over, and she said, what will you have? He said, I've been seeing your billboard, chicken and dumplings. She said, that's a good selection. He said, we all got a big bowl of chicken and dumplings, and when we got done, she said, now how about some dessert? He said, well, thought to himself, if I'm going to wash dishes, I'll wash a bunch of them, you know. And he said, <clears throat> and she said, he said, what do you have? He said, we have apple pie, and we can put ice cream. He said, that's far enough. They got all big bowls of uh, uh, actually a cobbler, apple cobbler. And uh, he said, we ate. And he said, I, my wife is sitting over there worried sick. You know, no man ought to worry that's married. His wife will do it for him, you know. And uh, he said, my wife was sitting over there, and she was saying, God, have mercy on us. What are we going to do? And he said, when we got done eating, I told her, I said, now, honey, you sit right here, and I'm going to go up and talk to the little lady behind the cash register. He said, I walked up. And he said, I said, ma'am, I want to talk to you about my bill now. She said, uh, sir, are you the man that was sitting right back here? Are you the one that's got the two little girls with you? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, your bill's taken care of. He said, how is my bill taken care of? She said, well, not long after you started eating, a big tall Texan walked up here with a great Stetson on. And Texan, by the way, I'm in Texas. The Texan walked up. And he's truck driver, and he said, uh, ma'am, he said, I was sitting over there, and this man, his wife, came in, had two of the prettiest little girls I ever saw in my life. And he said, I watched them bow their head and thank God for their food. And I saw those little girls bow their head. And he, and he tears welled up in his eyes. And he said, God got a hold of my heart. I want you to take this right here, and, and I want you to pay for their meal, and whatever's left over, give it to them. 
He said, man, I wanted to shout all over that restaurant. I went back and told my wife what God had done for us. Got in the car, started down the road, and it wasn't long that that gas hand got on empty. Said, I gave my turn signal again. Pulled into the filling station, prayed, and asked God to supply us with gas. My wife was just going nuts. Oh, God help us. Here we go again. And said, we pulled into the filling station, and the fellow came out. And uh, to, to help him put it, the gas in back in the days when he had service. How many of you old enough to remember service stations when you actually got service? He said he came out, said he took that nozzle and poked it in. And he said before he did, he said um, he, he poked it in. And <laughs> Brother Blue said to him, he said, um, tell me something. Do you, do you know if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? And the fellow said, no, but I'm going to get saved this Sunday. He said, you are. He said, yeah. He said, I was in church last night, and they're having a meeting over here, and the preacher was preaching on hell and going to hell. And he said, I should have gone forward and got saved, but I didn't. But he said, I'm going to go Sunday and get saved. He said, man, you don't have to wait till Sunday. He said, you can get saved right now. You might die and go to hell for Sunday. You can get saved right now. He said, are you a preacher? He said, I sure am. He said, man, get in here and tell me something. And he went in there and led that old boy to God under severe conviction of the Holy Ghost. And when he got done, Brother Blue said, now, about the gas. He said, forget the gas. Anybody come in here and tell a man how he can escape hell and go to heaven? The gas is on me, man. I'm paying for it. Boy, he said, I got home, pulled up in the driveway, and it was a widow lady whose husband had died, and she had got a little insurance reimbursement, sent him $300. He said, I started out with nothing. When I got home, my tank is full of gas, my stomach is full of dumplings, and my mailbox was full of money. Let me tell you something, friend. It is no secret what God can do. We need to go back and get those golden shields of prayer. Some of you don't pray anymore. You don't spend the time in prayer. How we need to go back and get those golden shields of prayer. I'd love to preach on that a long time tonight. But let me move to the next one. We need to go back and get those golden shields of praise and thanksgiving. Praise and thanksgiving. We've let the charismatic steal all the fun when we should not have. Baptist people were shouting and praising God a hundred years before there ever was a tongues talker in this country. And that's the truth, and you know that was the truth. We need to go back and get those golden shields of praise. I ain't talking about showing off in church. I'm not talking about distracting from the work of God. I'm not talking about putting some display out there so somebody will think you got something nobody else has got. I'm talking about just a grateful heart, tear in the eye, and a joy, and once in a while raising your hand when you don't have a question to ask. You know what I mean. I'm talking about happy, happy, and I'm talking about saying amen, and you ladies smiling and nodding your little head up and down while the preacher preaches. That's what I'm talking about. Psalms 150, verse 6, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. In Psalm 65, 2, Thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And Psalm 67, verse number 5, Let all the people praise thee, and God shall bless us. When's the last time you pulled the car off on the side of the road and beat on the dash and cried and just fogged your windows up? Huh? Oh, Yes. Lord, to praise the Lord. Lord, to praise the Lord. I about had a happy spell two or three times today, but I knew it would make the preacher upset, so I didn't. But I'll tell you what. I, I think, you know what, uh, Brother Hancock's preaching up in the mountains one time. I'll never forget this story. He was preaching up in the mountains. And before he started the meeting, the pastor said, I want you to meet an old deacon in my church. He's the most grateful, thankful man I've ever known in my life. He said, I want to meet him. They said they drove up in the mountains, and there was a little old black top winding back road back in the mountains. 
and said we pulled up to a shack and said there it looked like it hadn't had a speck of paint on it since the flood, you know. And said there was an old gray-headed lady standing out on the porch seeing who it was come up the lane. And he, sa- and he said, she said, oh, our pastor has come to see us. And uh, she said, now, uh, pastor, if you want to see him, you'll have to wait quite a while unless you'd like to go down to the spring. You know, we get our water from the spring down the mountain. And if you'd like to, it was a hot July day. And she said, uh, uh, if you'd like to go down, he went down to draw his water. And he's got that bad heart condition. And it t- he has to come just a few feet and set his bucket down. And uh, she said, so it's going to take him a while. But if you'd like to see him, you can go down the mountain and meet him. And the pastor said, oh, we'll go down and help him with his water. And they went down the mountain, down and holding on to trees, a little slick path around. And they got down there not far from, and they looked and they saw that spring, beautiful spring cased out with flint rock. And underneath the foot of that mountain, that crystal clear spring mineral water coming out from under that mountain, filling that pool and running out a little V-board off down the side of the mountain. And there, about 50 feet up from it, the old man was sitting there, had his bucket of water. (laughs) And he was catching his breath. (laughs) And about that time he heard him and he looked around. Well, my pastor, the Lord has sent my pastor to see me. Oh, pastor, before you say anything, let me tell you what God was just showing me. Tears welled up in his eyes. He said, look at that spring, preacher. Look at it. God knew before I was born. God knew that I would live on this mountain all my life. And he knew I'd enjoy that delicious spring water. And God put that spring in this mountain for me long before I was ever born. Here I am in my 80s. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? And the tears welled up in his face. He said, oh, yes, God's good, brother. God's good. He said, that's not all, preacher. You've got to see what God has done for me. He said, we went up the side of the mountain. And he said, there, we went back in the old house. Brother Hancock said, if in my life, said, if I ever saw a house that had nothing in it, this was it. Said, had one cane bottom chair in the front room and the cane was gone out of that. He said, come in here in the kitchen, preacher. I got to show you. Said, they got in the kitchen. And he said, I want to show you. My, we never had a sink. My wife never had a sink to wash the dishes, and she'd wash them in a little bucket here. And he said, look at here. He had found an old pan about three feet wide, bolted it to the side of that shack, knocked a hole in the middle, and run a pipe out through the side of that shack. And he got him a flat stopper, and he said, look at here. And he poured a little of that spring water in there, and he drug the stopper over, and it went out the bottom of that thing. And he looked up and tears came again. And he said, isn't God good? Look what he's done for us. And then he said, and my wife never had kitchen cabinets like other people. And uh, we kept our stuff in a box and had to keep them under the table. But we was afraid the mice would get in it. And so look at here. And he found an old army ammunition box. And he screwed the thing to the wall. And he opened it up. And there was a pot and a pan and two dishes and a couple of glasses and a butcher knife and some knives, forks, and spoons. He said, look here. And the old lady standing there just wagging her head, smiling like God in heaven had come down and given her a bucket of gold. And he tears came again. He said, isn't God good, preacher? Isn't God good? And he said, yes, brother, he's good. Brother Hancock said, I preached that meeting, but I could not shake that. He said, I preached that meeting, but I couldn't get that old man off my mind. He said, I preached that meeting, but I couldn't forget him standing there with tears, thanking God for a pan for a sink and an army ammunition box for a cabinet. And he said, I got home. And he said, I walked in my house. And he said, when I did, 
turned the light on on the end table, my eyes fell on that beautiful overstuffed chair and said, my knees went out from under me. I said, oh, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. I never stopped and thanked you for this chair. Not one time. He said, I looked and there was the sofa. And I crawled over and knelt by the sofa. And said, God, forgive me. I never, I've laid on this thing and taken naps. I've never thanked you. Not one time have I thanked you. And then he said, I crawled around to each piece of furniture in the living room. He said, my wife and children were asleep. He said, I crawled into the kitchen. And there was that beautiful refrigerator made its own ice. And I thought about that old man having to go down to the spring every day. And he said, I bowed my head and said, oh, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. He said, I had a revival. Just thanking God for his blessing. I remember one time when all of my children were little, all seven of them, I remember... Uh, uh, years ago, I, I went down to John Umstead Hospital at Butner and uh, Mental Institute. And no, I didn't go for a treatment either. I, I went down there to visit a lady who had uh, went through so much sickness, she lost her mind. And I went down there. And on the way down to the unit where she was in, I stopped. And the little afflicted, retarded children came by. And the workers got them all to wave at me, and I waved at each one of them, and some of them were slurring at the mouth, and some of them were so retarded they were physically uh, afflicted. And, uh, and I looked at those little children, and I thought about my children. But anyway, I came in one night, and Diane was waiting up for me, and I said, Honey, I've been in a revival. And I said, is everything all right? She said, it's all all right. I said, I just want to walk around and check on the children. All of them were little children those days. The youngest uh, one or two and the oldest ten. And uh, I opened the door and I looked in. And there they all were sleeping. And it dawned on me, they can all see. And they can all hear. And they can all walk. And they can all learn. And they can all talk. And now here I am, after all these years, and they're all saved, and they're all in good churches, and they all love the Lord, and they all love their daddy, and they all love each other. I'll tell you what, you ought to go home tonight and take your shoes off and get up on your bed and jump up and down, smack your shoes together, and thank God, God has been good. And you know what? You need to, we ought to go back and get those old fashioned. I remember in the Gospel Light Baptist Church, Bobby Robertson. I remember the time when the choir, big seventy voice choir, the choir couldn't even get down until three people was on the floor at one time crying. Brother Bobby, I just want to thank God for how good He's been to me. Thing would break out into our testimony meeting, people crying and praising God for His blessings on them. That's about all gone. About all gone. My mama Hale, my mother's mother, my mama Hale. H-A-L-E was her last name. She was an old-fashioned shouting lady. I'd go to church with her up on Carroll Street, and she'd sit there, and they'd sing, and she'd clap her hands together and look up. She'd just look right through heaven. Oh, I never forgot it. She had a friend, Mrs. White. Miss White lived up the street. About every week, Miss White would come down and knock on the door, the screen door out that long old screened-in porch. And Mama Hale would go to the door and say, Miss White, what can I do for you? She'd say, Sister Hale, I just came to praise the Lord with you. She said, that's good. And she opened the door. And Mrs. White wouldn't get in the door. And they didn't go to church and act up this way now, but Mrs. White wouldn't get in the door until they'd both raise their hands and start bragging on Jesus. And they'd cry and praise the Lord and walk up and down and cry. Oh, yeah. 
That's the reason my mama, 85 years old, is saved, going to heaven. Oh, yeah, she had a mama that was real, magnified God, glorified the Lord. Oh, yeah. She, raised, she had 14 children, buried six of them before she died. But, oh, she never quit praising the Lord, never quit magnifying the Lord. That's about all gone, about all gone. I was in Jerry Whitehart's church. Jerry Whitehart married Bobby Robertson's oldest daughter, Gospel Light Baptist Church, Walkertown, North Carolina. And uh, I was in, uh, excuse me, yes, Bobby Robertson, Gospel Light, and Jerry Whitehart pastored Gospel Light Baptist Church in Salisbury and was running a 1,000. I preached a meeting for him about every year. And uh, I was... Um, uh, Ed Ballou, the same fellow I was talking about, was preaching with me one night. And, uh, and, and the singing got on, and it was wonderful. And the fellow over on the piano had to praise the Lord and cry and lift in his hands. And I'll never forget what Brother Blue said. Brother Blue came to the platform, and he said, Mamas, your little children, lift them up now. Lift them up and let them see this man praising the Lord over here. Because the day will soon come, they'll never see that. The love of many shall wax cold. I'm not talking about you making a show at church. I'm not talking about some, uh, the charismatic. My brother, do you have the joy? Well, I did till he got there, you know. I don't go for that fake stuff. But I'm talking about when God squeezes your heart and the water runs out your eyes. I'm talking about when you're overtaken with the blessings of God and the goodness of God. Hey, I'm talking about praising the Lord. When's the last time you really got caught up and just magnified the, magnified the Lord with me? Let us rejoice and praise His name together. God's been good. Lately, I've been looking back over this troubled way to the old familiar path uh, landmarks that I have known. It may ha sound simple, but it's more than a cliche. God's been good. In my life, God has been good. We need to go back and get those golden shears of praise and thanksgiving. We stuck up our little front and said, praise the Lord. But it was a brass shield. It was not a gold shield. And then last but not least, we need to go back and get those golden shields of soul winning. Acts 5.42, daily in the temple and in every house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Acts 20.20, 20, I've showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Oh, yeah. Let me close with this illustration. I had an assistant pastor. At, I trained. I've trained several that are now in the pastorate. Now, I want you to hear this. I'll tell you a story. It got me. Remember what I said last night? Whatever gets me might get somebody else. And one Saturday morning in bus breakfast, he told this story. He was bus. He was a bus captain in Dr. Curtis Hudson's church, church, Forest Hills Baptist Church in Decatur, Georgia. And he said he was out working his bus route one Saturday afternoon, and he knocked on the doors down the poor section. And the door swung open, and there was a boy standing there. He said, as soon as I looked at him, I knew he was retarded. He said, I could look in his eyes and tell he was retarded. He said he was standing like a clown would stand. His feet were turned out. He had a big stomach, and his breeches pulled way up over his belt. And we, he said, when I saw him, he said, hello. And Craig said, hello. He said, what's your name? And my name is Willie. He said, Willie, he said, um, do you go to church? He said, what's your name? He said, my name's Brother Craig. 
He said, no, Bubba Craig, I don't go to church because I retarded. He said, I went right down here to this church, but they told me we couldn't come back because they didn't have a program for retarded children, and so I, I don't go to church. He said, Willie, when you go to church, do you behave? Do you stay quiet? Oh, Bob Craig, I, I'm always quiet. I, I keep my feet together, and I keep my hands in my lap. I, I, don't, I don't make no noise. I, I, I don't. He said, Willie, I got news for you. We do have a retarded department at our church, and you can come to our church. Oh, he spun on his heels and ran back through the house. Mama, Mama, Bob Craig is here. He says I can go to church. He promised Craig faithfully he'd be in church the next morning. Craig said, I pulled that bus up. No Willie. Blew the horn. No Willie. Waited. No Willie. He said, I thought, that rascal promised me. He said, I was getting ready to pull off. And all of a sudden, from behind the house, here he came. He was laying at a 45 when he rounded the corner. He said, them same big old shoes, oversized shoes, flopping up and down. He said, same breeches he had on the day before, his hair all messed up. Said he was running full speed toward the bus. He said, I reached up and opened the door to keep him from running, slammed through it. And he said, he ran up on the bus and said, Quay, guess what happened this morning? He said, you about missed the bus, Willie. That's exactly what. He said, no, Bubba Quay, you don't know what happened this morning? He said, well, tell me about it. He said, I drove off. He said, Bubba Quake, I, got, I woke up this morning. I was going to come to church. And he said, Bubba Quake, the devil was sitting on my bedpost. Willie uh, Craig said, I looked at him and said, he was. He said, yeah. He said, you know what the devil said to me, Bubba Quake? He said, I have no idea. He said, devil said to me, Willie, you are not going to church this morning. He said, you know what I did to that rascal, Bubba Quay? He said, no, Willie, what'd you do to that rascal? He said, I waited till the devil turned his head and I jumped out the window and came to church. By the way, by the way, that's good advice for you bedside Baptist on Clicker Avenue on Sunday morning. Just wait till the devil turns his head and jump out the window. <laughs> Craig said we're on the way to church. Said, I kept looking at him, little fella sitting there. Didn't have a daddy. Nobody to play with him. Nobody to care for him. Nobody to spend any time with him. Watch him. He said, my heart went out to him. He said, I had a lot of bus riders. He said, my heart went out to him. He said, Willie? He said, yes, sir. He said, how'd you like to come back to church tonight? Does the bus run tonight? He said, no, the bus don't run, but I run. I'll come by and get you. Want to come to church? Oh, that'd be wonderful, Brother Craig. He got to church and let Craig out. Somebody took him to his class, but he forgot to have somebody bring him back. That church had run over 3,000. And he said, I came back to the bus after church, and I forgot, oh, Lord. I didn't get anybody to pick up Willie. Somebody, that kid will be on the other side of Atlanta. We'll get sued till Jesus comes. And he thought, oh, look. He said, about that time, I looked down the long sidewalk beside the church where the bus was parked, and two of our ladies, very flucy, influential, wealthy ladies, were walking up the sidewalk, talking to each other with their nose at a slight tilt. And they had furs and diamonds and all that goes with the wealthy people. And said, as they were walking up the sidewalk, 
talking. Between their heads, I could see Willie coming full speed, just as fast as he was coming when he rounded that house. He said, I just had time to say, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Boom! He hit those ladies, knocked one of them over in the scrub, the other one out in the parking lot. Came running up and jumped on the bus and said, Brother Quag, guess what happened this morning? Brother Quag, he said, Willie, sit down. You just knocked two of our prize ladies over. Sit down. He sat down like a dog with his tail tucked between his legs. He sat down. He said, Willie, you can't treat people that way. Now, good night, sit down. He said, I pulled off. He said, the ladies were getting up. He said, I looked back at him and said, now, just stay seated. He said, okay, Bubba Quay, but you never did let me tell you what happened. He said, well, Willie, what happened this morning? He said, Bubba Quay, I got saved this morning. That's exactly what happened. I got saved. He said, I looked at the little fella sitting there, tears in his eyes. said, my heart went out to him. He said, Willie, I'll be by to pick you up tonight. He picked him up. He said, on the way to church. And by the way, he got baptized that night. On the way to church, he said, I looked at him. I thought nobody ever takes him anywhere. He never gets anything. He said, I said, Willie, how'd you like to have a Big Mac? Oh, Brother Craig, that'd be well, I ain't got no money. He said, Willie, I got the money if you got the time. And Willie said, I got a whole lot of time, Brother Craig. That's all y'all like. I got a whole lot of time. He said it went long. We were pulling into the Golden Arches Supper Club, you know, Golden Arches, McDonald's. And he said we pulled in and got out and went in. And I took Willie over to the table, little retarded fellow. Said I took him over to the table and set him down. And said, now, Willie, you sit right here, and I'm going to go get our food. He said, I went up to the counter, and I said, ma'am, give us two of those number ones and supersize them, big size them. I mean, extra fries, extra drink, all of them. Yes, sir. Said she got everything ready, put it on a tray. Said I reached in my pocket and got a little gospel track. Said I had, said, ma'am, take this. It'll show you how you can go to heaven when you die. She said, thank you, sir. He said, I went over and took the food, set it down on the table, and Willie said, uh, but, 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 Brother Craig, what did you just do to that lady? He said, I'm so used to passing out tracks, I didn't know what he's talking about. He said, what did I do? He said, yeah, what you? What was that you gave that lady? Oh, he said, what did I give her? It was a little gospel track, Willie. Uh, she can, people can read these things, and it tells them how they can go to heaven when they die. And Willie said, I believe I could do that. I believe I could pass out tracks. He said, you believe you could pass out tracks, Willie? He said, I know I could if I had any, but I don't have any. He said, well, listen, I'll just give you one right now. And he pulled out several tracks and handed them to Willie. Started to bow his head, and Willie got up, just got up. Walked all the way across McDonald's restaurant, and there was a lady sitting over there, a large lady, already been supersized, a big one. And she... <clears throat> She was sitting there, a sweet lady, a sweet lady. I mean, one of those old-fashioned, she was a black lady, one of those old-fashioned Georgia mammies, you know. Oh, she was sweet. And she was sitting there, and he walked over. She's sitting at the table, and he walks over, and he takes that track and slams it down and said, How old, fatso, read that? Craig said, I said, Willie, get over here. He looked back at Craig. 
He said, I've got to go. He walked back over at the table. He said, sit down, Willie. Night, boy. You can't talk to people that way. He looked back at that woman and said, besides, that woman's big enough to hurt us, boy. You can't, you can't talk to people that way. He said, I saw it, Brother Craig. He said, I took a couple of bites of my Big Mac, kept watching that woman. He said, finally, I said, now, Willie, this time I'm going to go over and talk to the woman. He said, I watched her. She was reading that track. She kept reading that track. He said, I kept chewing on my Big Mac and watching her. She kept reading that track. He said, finally, when she got done, she took the track, dropped it on the table, bowed her head. He said, I watched her the longest time. She finally raised her head up, picked the track back up started to read it. He said, I said, now, Willie, you wait right here. Promise you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I promise, Brother Craig. He said, I went over and said, ma'am, first thing, I'd like to apologize for the way the little boy acted. She said, oh, and I love to hear him talk. She said, oh, mister, it was all right. She said, I tell the little fellow a little simple. She said, you didn't offend me at all. He said, ma'am, I noticed you read that track. He said, mister, not only did I read it, I bowed my head and asked the Lord to save me. And that glory to God look came on her face, you know. I mean, she was happy in the Lord. And, and, and Craig went back and told Willie what had happened. That set Willie on fire. I mean, that set... Look, Craig said, honest before God Almighty in heaven, every Saturday, we'd take stacks of tracks. I'd go with Willie downtown Atlanta. He said, we had those inner city transit systems, you know, where you get on those monitors rails and they, they ride them out and nobody's on there. They just announcer comes on, you know. And uh, he said we'd just get on there and pass out tracks all day long, you know, and pass them out. He said when we'd get on the car, this was a standard, all, on Saturday, said Willie would always walk to the front, first thing. And when he'd get to the front, people sitting, people holding on. Pe he said when he'd get to the front, he'd say, may I have your attention, please? like that. Well, all these necks would go up, everybody, and they'd see this obviously retarded boy standing at the front, and he'd always start out like this. He said, now you, you may not understand what I'm going to do right at first, but I got Jesus in my heart, and you need Jesus in your heart. He said, and he said, that retarded boy would stand there and give the plan of salvation as clear as any preacher you ever heard in your life. And he'd end up, and he'd always say this. Now you might say, always say the same thing. Now you might say, I retarded. But you die and go to hell after hearing this, you retarded. <laughs> he'd always end up, he said, now let me tell you what you do. You bow your head right now, and I'm going to help you pray. And you ask Jesus come into your heart. Craig Bryan said, Pastor Brown, God being my witness, he said, we saw hundreds of people bow their I mean, doctors and lawyers and children and teenagers and, and pe traveling people and everybody heard that retard give the plan of salvation. He said, Curtis Hudson baptized 22 adults one Sunday that that retarded one to God the day before. Let me tell you something. Someday, someday you and I are going to have to stand beside a Willie and give God our excuse as to why we don't tell people about Jesus and pass out tracts and tell others how they're going to go to heaven. Let me tell you something. Has the Shishaks come and taken away the golden shields of soul winning, of prayer, of holiness, 
of praise as the Shishaks come and taken away those golden shields out of your life? If so, you got one or two choices. Choice number one, quick, get us some brass. Stick up the shields. Walk out of here and say, oh, it was a wonderful sermon. Didn't you enjoy that? And act like God wasn't within a mile of you. Either that, or you can say, oh, God, it's true. Shishaks have come and taken away my golden shields. I need to get back to soul winning. I need to go back and just praise the Lord and thank him. My husband and I, my wife and I need to go home tonight and just bow our heads and thank God for our children, that they're the way they are. We need to praise the Lord. Have the Shishaks come and taken away those golden shields out of your life. Why don't you say, by the grace of God, we're going to go back and get them. We're going to go back and get them. Let's bow our heads and pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. I wonder how many folks are here. And you'd say, Pastor Brown, I would have to lie to you and lie to the Holy Spirit to keep from raising my hand right now and letting you know that somewhere along the way while you were preaching tonight, the Holy Spirit of God dealt with my heart. He did. He really did. And Pastor Brown, I want you to pray for me. Everybody here, and you feel God dealt with your heart while I was preaching tonight. Would you raise your hand? Hold it up high. Hold it up high. God dealt with your heart. God dealt with your heart. I see those hands everywhere. God bless you. Somebody said there's two kinds of people ought to come. By the way, that's just about everybody again, preacher. Take your hands down. Somebody said there's two kinds of people ought to come to the altar. When a sermon like this is preached, the first kind is the kind that feels like God spoke to them. And the second kind is the kind that didn't feel like God spoke to them because they both need to come. And the second kind needs to come worse than the first kind. I wonder tonight if you raised your hand and you would say, God spoke to my heart. God spoke to my heart. He really did. And you say, Pastor Brown, I'm not, I'm not going to sit around like a knot on a log. I need to go back and get those golden shields of holiness. I need to go back and get those golden shields of prayer. By the way, don't ever go to a church where they've lost those golden shields of preaching. Thank God for your pastor here. Don't you go down yonder at one of those high steeple few people churches that gets up, reads out of an NIV ding-dongs around, philosophize instead of just preaching. Go back and get those golden shields of preaching, those golden shields of prayer, those golden shields of holiness, those golden shields of thanksgiving, and those golden shields of soul winning. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.